and welcome to Unity Thursday, the podcast for women in business, created by women in business. We are your hosts, Emily Thompson and Sophie Will. We know what it's like to spend your day surrounded by people who don't look like we do, speak like we do, or think like we do. Here on Unity Thursday, we bring together women like us. Just a quick disclaimer, this isn't a get rich quick plan and we can't make you good at your job. Sorry, not sorry. Shout out to our sponsors, Zeus, a leading independent financial services group which works across public and private capital markets in the UK. Today our guest is the incredible Portia Patel, Director in Diversified Financials Equity Research for Canaccord Genuity and co-founder of ESG Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today, Portia. Thank you both for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be here. So, Portia, you've worked in equity research for for several years. Could you explain to us what that actually is and what that involves? Yeah, sure. So, well, actually, when I started my career, I had no idea that equity research was even a thing. So (laughs) it was a plan to actually be an equity research analyst. But essentially, my my job is research and writing research for fund managers. And we essentially advise them, hopefully give them good advice about which stocks they should buy and which they should sell. We all have sector specialisms. Mine is small and mid cap financials. I've been doing that for, I think, 11 and a bit years. And so while we have fund manager clients, we also have clients who are uh, listed corporates. So we work, we work with them to help them tell their equity stories as best as they can. So Portia, you've been really successful in the city and you've got such a good reputation. You've won lots of awards. What do you think is the secret to your success? Well, I think that is a really hard question to answer. I think it's actually hard to identify it yourself sometimes because you just, you know, sometimes I feel like I, you know, I blindly just do what I do. And, you know, if it if it works, that's great. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it has. Um, I think... Um, it's kind of the analytical skills that you need to be a, a good research analyst kind of go without saying and um i think i've always enjoyed that kind of work i think success comes down to enjoying what you do you know some people would find reading annual reports and building spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff not that interesting <laughs> um i find it really um you know when you when you uncover something that you think the next person hasn't that is such a buzz yeah Um, I can imagine that you're sitting there late on a on a weekday evening you know eight o'clock and you 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 find you know a nugget um I find that really rewarding so I think enjoyment is a key to success and just being hungry to learn I think hungry to 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 know more um I think you know research is a knowledge game and you don't need to know everything I just think the edge comes when you know just that little bit more. And what is it that you're looking for that that would be a sort of nugget in a company report that you might pick up on that other people with less trained eyes might not pick up on is it is it the phrasing of the ways that something's been presented is it a particular numbers that that you pick up on what is it that you think that you're able to sort of uh really hone in on because of your training yeah I think I mean ultimately it does all come down to the numbers so I think a really kind of a, a, 
a keen eye on all of the the notes to the accounts which people kind of skip over you know is there anything interesting about the company's you know cash generation compared to how they articulate it that's worth further exploring for instance um things like that just kind of quirks i think that other people you know it's very easy to skip past all of that because you know it's not the most people generally find it not the most interesting thing to do but i think it is that um that willingness to kind of just get really really deep um into a story and actually do do more than just kind of reading the reports and reading the materials that the company gives you you know sometimes i i liken our job at its best to being kind of like an investigative journalist you know going speaking to people speaking to people in the industry speaking to competitor businesses just building a real picture about where company x sits in its universe and we've been on some great investigation you know we've gone off to kind of meet people and it's all felt very kind of oh we're doing this detective work kind of thing which, yeah, uh, which has been really kind of funny at the time, but has produced some great results actually. <laughs> so there you go. You've got that hand in hand skills there with that almost being a private investigator. And I feel like <laughs> my next question was: yeah. when you were younger, was this always what you wanted to do? And people always say no. But actually, I feel like private investigator alongside research—that some people did want to be that when they were younger. So there's your question. When you were younger, did you think you would end up where you are or was it a completely different career you were hoping to go into? Obviously not so much when you were a little girl, but you've got an amazing um, education and you went to uni, you did your master's. At what point did you decide that this was the avenue you wanted to go down? Yeah, I think I always I always had a strong interest in the financial market. So I I felt a draw probably to that from kind of GCSE sixth form time. Um, hence, I did um, a very kind of economics weighted degree and did a master's in economics as well. Um, so it was kind of leading me down that path. And then I, when I finished my master's, I joined RBC Capital Markets in London on the grad scheme, which is um, like many grad schemes, you do a rotation around sales, trading and research. And I really, I, based on, I guess, what I knew I enjoyed, the kind of analytical work, the writing, the um, interaction with people, the, the kind of multifaceted nature of the work we do as research analysts, I, I did feel that that would be something I would enjoy. Mm. Um, I didn't know equity research was such a was a thing as I said at the beginning um I um I really kind of stumbled on that one I definitely kind of thought about doing more kind of economics or macro research in the bank um but then the opportunity came up to go and sit in the equity research room there was then an opening for a junior on the diversified financials desk so I just put my hand up and I I took it so I definitely didn't I didn't choose um the sector but it's been um I would definitely choose it again I think it's been I've been lucky I think to have ended up in um what has been a really kind of interesting sector over the past 10 years yeah and you've done this for quite a few years now so it it must be something you genuinely do enjoy doing yeah I mean of course there are I think with any job there are frustrations but 
yeah. you know, there are, <laughs> there are, um, I, I genuinely do enjoy the work. Um, and, you know, those moments where you make a make a call on a stock where, you know, for example, you're the only person who is the seller of the stock and you go through that whole process of creating, doing the analysis, creating your report, you're going out there marketing it to every single client who will take a meeting with you, being told you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But then actually that day comes when your conviction is proven correct. That's an amazing feeling. Mm. Oh, I bet. Those are the moments I think that really make the job worth it. You know, when you when you're working as, as well with a with a corporate client working on them helping them kind of re um reposition their story tweak some things um get them out there to see more people and you can see the um appreciation of the share price thereafter again in a great feeling that's a direct evidence of the work that you're putting in so those those moments are really rewarding for sure yeah what's what's changed in the in that kind of sector over the last 10 years has anything changed that's made a kind of material difference to the way that your job works yeah I think um I won't bore you with all the ins and outs of the the regulatory changes (laughs) but we have had a kind of material change within um within our sector called MIFID 2 and that's that has changed the way we work so Back when uh, Emily, you and I were at Liberum, those are what I kind of think were the most fun days of being a research analyst pre pre Mifid two world. It was a lot of fun, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really missing out. I'm just going to have to live vicariously through you two. <laughs> and and the job was different in. Uh, it really driven by the way we we made money then as to as to how we make money now so the pressures on us I think are different um currently it has sucked a bit of the fun out of the job for sure and I I, I feel confident in saying I'm not the only person who feels that way mm-hmm. um, hopefully there is some um some kind of rowback on that that's possible um, I think the SCA are kind of thinking about how those rules are applied right now. So, um, so we'll see, but I don't think it will go back to how it was uh, for sure. Yeah, um, I have heard about that actually with Mifid too. I think they realised that it actually wasn't working the way they wanted it to work. And although they can't do a full U-turn, I do think that there will be changes coming forward that's from my compliance which is so boring so yeah we'll just move on but no so hopefully it will bring the fun back into what you do and we'll see I don't know (laughs) so you co-founded ESG Mark how how did that come about yeah so this was a a couple of years ago actually after leaving Liberum as is the case you know you get this wonderful gardening leave don't you (laughs) (laughs) can't relate never happened (laughs) Which is a lovely extended holiday. Um, anyway, we had uh, I had a kind of window there with with a colleague of mine, and um, the kind of origins of, of the project started then, and just really in conversation. Obviously, ESG investing has exploded as a theme, which you know none of us can ignore, and we were talking more about sustainability in our personal lives as well. So. Um, 
we were encountering on a kind of more daily basis companies you know gen, you know could be well resourced listed corporates talking about well you know what do we need to do about ESG is ESG really a thing mm-hmm. uh, do I need to care etc cetera, etc cetera. and we're sort of observing the challenges that large companies have with understanding why ESG should be important to them, how they can go about starting a journey of improving their ESG credentials. And we felt really passionately that we wanted to bring something similar, some kind of similar structure to small and medium-sized companies who are typically overlooked when it comes to um, resource and programs of, of any nature, really. And obviously, the, the lifeblood of the, of the economy um, so, you know, it's really um, important that they be included in the conversation. So research kind of started for the project. Well, I was actually a, you know, typical kind of research analyst. It was just, oh, well, let's write a let's write some research papers to educate ourselves and, and see who else would find them useful. And the takeaway was, um, well, actually, this is a this is, is an incredibly complex and multifaceted subject, mm. even to distill, you know, the UN SDGs down into a single paper took me absolutely forever. Um, and I was left at the end thinking, well, and, but what can I actually do as an individual? If I was a business, what could I actually do? Yeah. So the objective with ESG, Mark, is to make the concepts around ESG and sustainability accessible to particularly small and medium-sized businesses, and to help them go on a journey of positive improvement um, in a measured and, and non-judgmental way. Right. That's amazing. And yeah. and you've been really successful and got quite a lot of um, companies on your books now. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of obviously an appetite for it in the market. Do you think that um, you... you seems to me from an outside perspective and I definitely wouldn't put myself down as an expert at ESG do you think that you just really captured the right moment to do that as well because the the timing seems to have been really good for ESG Mark just as you were coming out almost seems like the media kind of exploded and talking about ESG. Yeah I think so I think I think the time is most definitely now um you know, every day I think we're reminded with respect to the climate crisis that we're, you know, we mm. the time to act is now. So yeah, definitely. The, the um, you know, the tailwinds with respect to the noise around the subject and that being useful and helping us engage as many small businesses as possible is most certainly really, really helpful. Mm. And we've been, you know, really pleased that the reception has been positive, and you know, businesses of all sizes really. Um, want to get engaged um, and more and more I think we're seeing incoming from businesses who are perhaps considering ESG for the very first time because for example they've been asked in a client pitch tell me about your ESG credentials yeah. right yeah so it's you know it's no longer a, a nice to have it's a must have and yeah. every business in order to be competitive must really be taking their ESG credential seriously so so certainly I think the as you say the the noise around it has been a a great help the the time is very much now we've got to capitalize on that Um, and 
such as being the the level of interest um we've now kind of got a team together who essentially run the business um and they are you know a bunch of really kind of really fantastic individuals um really passionate really motivated really talented and i'm really proud to work with them um and they do a wonderful job um we're continuing to expand um continuing to bring on new members um so yeah all kind of going in the the right direction and hopefully um really you know wanting to make a difference you know that's the the ethos of the organization of you know we, we want to help all businesses to play their part how fantastic what an incredible yeah. goal and it seems so worthwhile a hundred and it sounds really it's not been around for that long but it sounds like you're super successful right obviously you're still expanding do you think the key to that is because you are all so passionate about it and about you know pushing it into these companies that's why it's succeeding so much yeah I think I think that's that's definitely a factor I think um the, the people we speak to at the you know at the organizations where we're dealing with they themselves are so passionate you know the 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 project might start as a seed with one person in an organization and they come to us they engage with us you know we want to um for a company to go through the ESG mux certification process it requires um buy-in obviously from the executive management team mm-hmm. so actually gratifying to see that you know what might start from one person in an organization being the internal champion um and that growing to actually you know here is now a whole organization you know 100 plus 200 plus people who are all actually um, who will actually understand the importance of um, strong ESG credentials within the business and, and wanting to go on that that journey. That, that, that's really amazing. Yeah, I think that's a big win as well, because actually, say out of all of those 100 people, realistically, under half were probably actually only thinking about it, considering it. But the fact that you've now won over a whole company, that is such an achievement in itself. Um, you mentioned when we started talking about this about how individuals, what you can do as an individual to make a difference in the ESG space and how you can be more sustainable. What would you say to people, like just as individuals themselves in their everyday life, what would you say to just the small changes make the biggest difference? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I mean, there are so many things in every aspect of your life you can think about, even from just, you know, your your home your home life and your home setup like thinking about recycling thinking about what products you use thinking about um refill reuse all those sorts of what feel like very small things um all actually add up to make large differences and kind of encourage i think when you know with them when we speak about them to each other kind of encourage those behaviors amongst you know groups and that then it all falls really um, I think also the kind of attitudes you take at work. So, you know, it's really encouraging to see more and more workplaces thinking about diversity and inclusion and not just in the most obvious ways with respect to, you know, gender and, and, and race, but kind of other, other categories as well. I think it's all increased thought and discussion around these topics and actually having those discussions openly that helps affect change at home within organizations 
which collectively amounts to great progress. But there are plenty of um, plenty of resources on the ESG Mark website. If uh, shameless plug time, uh, <laughs> love it. We will link it. <laughs> so with the ESG stuff, I mean, it's such a breath of fresh air. It you almost do think it had to come at some point with these changes that realistically should have been made years ago. But it is satisfying to know that it is it is slowly getting there, and it is such a big thing now. Like even just I notice it in our job that when we um, have meeting with investors, some of them are basically saying, if it doesn't tick the ESG box, then we don't want to know about it. And I think that is such a positive thing because it is forcing companies who never thought about it, even now, who haven't really considered it to make those changes. Otherwise, that they, they can't succeed in their think, roles. Yeah, I think the investors you make a really interesting. Yeah, you make a really interesting point, Sophie, because if if. If you think about it from that perspective, big companies, there's little impetus for them to change, isn't there? Unless it comes from the shareholders or from their investors. And then that is just filtering down now. So like the smaller companies, they're more able to change because they're more agile. The big companies, you think it's like turning a ship, isn't it? It's just an incredible thing. But if you're if you're running a small company, you can genuinely make big change um, quite, quite quickly. Quite, I mean, that's my my impression maybe that's incorrect I think that's right and I think I think any person who is starting a business now would have different or additional considerations to somebody who started a business 10 years ago for example yeah well I was talking to my my mother actually she started a business um I think it was about 10 years ago maybe slightly longer ago um She's since kind of put it on hold because she's got other projects, but it was a it was a um, business making essentially healthier cupcakes in coffee cups. So it was a really yummy. They were they were were brilliant, honestly. They were so delicious. And And uh, how much of the testing of the product did you have to do? (laughs) Tester in chief. Um, (laughs) That is an amazing title. It was a really great business um, and she was doing really well. Um, But one of the I mean, we were having this conversation not so long ago. You know what? If she started that business now, what would the different considerations be? Well, you know, we were using individual coffee cups, one, you know, like an espresso cup per cake. So now, you know, whereas 10 years ago, 10, no, 12 years ago, the is, is this cup recyclable? What do we think about the impact of every cake we sell? There is a cup that is going to go in the bin along with it. You know, those those weren't high on our agenda, whereas now they would be absolutely the first things you would think about. And, you know, the, the business, the, the premise of the business, it being essentially a cake in a, a cup, it would be it would have to be different. Definitely, if you're you know, I think young businesses and startups now definitely have that advantage in terms of setting the business up in the right way and the agility to to make changes and, and have the right building blocks from an ESG perspective in place from the very start. Yeah, that's the, the key, isn't it? It's, it's a lot easier to start out correct than be down the line and having to make those changes. And sometimes it's not that simple. Um, what's your vision for the future with it? Well, I really hope that 
we can continue to grow and that is the kind of current project of the team at the moment is how do we how do we um, one cope with the demand for services that we that we already have so we're hiring more people at the moment and secondly how do we uh, continue to scale up and to engage as many businesses in this conversation as is possible. So I hope in the future um, the ESG Mark community and those who kind of know and and or businesses who know and understand um, what being sustainable in business actually means and I guess considering those aspects when starting and, and modifying their businesses continues to continues to grow for sure we, we want to make sure we have as much reach and positive impact as is possible that that's really the goal to get as many businesses in this conversation as is possible yeah we are definitely well on your way and hopefully it will just continue to grow and finally we can see some changes <laughs> yeah we we look forward to to watching it continue to succeed Portia Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Well, I feel like we could talk about ESG this whole time, but I'm going <laughs> to move on because I'm aware of time. Um, so let's go right back to the beginning. So when you were younger, where were you born? Where were you brought up? Was university always something you wanted to do? How? Tell us all about your history. OK, um, so I was born in Kent in um, Medway which is where my parents still live. They still live in the house where my brother were first brought to and grew up. Um, and I feel like all the stuff in those 30 plus years is still <laughs> in that house. <laughs> Are all your rooms still the exact same from when you yeah. left? <laughs> but, you know, we love going back home. Um, home is home is most definitely home. And um, yeah, so I sort of grew, I grew up in in Medway um, was was there for school until I was 18. I always kind of had university as a goal for sure. Um, and then I went to Oxford to study philosophy, politics and economics. How was Oxford University? That is, I feel that's a goal for many people, isn't it? To say you went to Oxford is such an accomplishment in itself. How how was being there? Yeah, I feel like it's that, to be able to say I went to Oxford. Sophia, are you looking? Impressive. Are you looking for Harry Potter style? <laughs> yeah, I think, absolutely not. <laughs> I think something that that um, yeah, Harry Potter style, or which definitely is not really the reality for people. No. And I think honestly, I mean, I think um, I think there are kind of various different perceptions about Oxford and Cambridge, and you know, some of them aren't you know, the best representations. And, but that certainly wasn't my experience. I had a wonderful three years there. I think the college that I was at in Oxford, St Anne's, is uh, a progressive college. It was actually a um, all-women's college, and it only started accepting men. Let me get this wrong, I should know it. Maybe it was the 1960s. Um, so it was one of the kind of last few women's colleges. Mm -hmm. And I made some brilliant friends and in fact we're all going to uh one of the group's weddings next week oh, oh nice. how lovely that you're all still in contact yeah so nice so yeah all this time later we all kind of lived together in the same terrible house in fact <laughs> <laughs> it, it 
only now is being demolished. I can't believe they made people live in it for another. Kind oh, of... Them uni houses, I've, I've, yeah, I've heard it's not, uh, not as all fun as everyone makes it out yeah. to be with the housing. <laughs> but it was a, um, it was a, it was a great kind of three years. Obviously, flew by. Don't remember any of my degree, so <laughs> please don't ask me about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it made you go on to do a master's so it, it, so after my undergrad I wasn't quite ready to jump into work so I decided to do a master's for a year at UCL which was again a great year really enjoyed it made some great friends we're all still in touch um and it was towards the end of that year that obviously we had to start thinking about jobs and it was at that time I applied for literally every single grad scheme going. I think I was a bit late to applying. Um, I can remember my mum getting really stressed about me having not actually applied for anything yet. I think I was just procrastinating about what it was <laughs> applying for. Um, but in the end, I think I think the RBC uh grad scheme was actually the very last one I applied for and that was the one that I got or that was the one I chose to do in the end um so that began with I think it was a month's jolly over in New York Um, amazing doesn't sound too bad (laughs) oh my god yeah just a I was expecting you to say oh yeah just a jolly up in London or something New York that sounds amazing again I think back when back when things were more fun I'm not sure the brands get to do this for them but essentially it was the London cohort the New York cohort the Canadians and Australians all descending on New York for a month all paid to go have in inverted commas training okay we need to talk about (laughs) this because that sounds incredible so just a whole month you had a everything paid for training session for a whole month in New York they paid to go there they paid for the hotel they paid whatever you know they paid our salary um food was provided for most days for lunch um so we just had to turn up to these seminars every day there was like you know kind of cursory test at the end of it but it was um, it was essentially a month long kind of party. Oh and, my god! Uh, I that on, sounds insane. I put on a lot of weight. I think everything <laughs> is in that month. <laughs> I think I think the HR woman even commented when we all came back about how everybody looked a lot heavier than when we <laughs> left. <laughs> of course, we were having the time of our lives. Okay, yeah. no judgments. <laughs> Um, I bet you met so many amazing people, though. The fact that there was all really people from all over the world just came together for for that training session. I bet. Oh my god, that sounds like a great time. I feel like we've yeah. missed out here. <laughs> shouldn't have gone to the back office, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is what we should have done. <laughs> it's all it's all been downhill from there. I don't. Care. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't get to go on any trips anymore. You know some. Some sectors, you know, when they, uh, some sectors have really good field trips and off-sites. Um, I remember, you know, some of the, the retail analysts used to go to the, you know, Burberry flagship store opening and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, I, wow. I get to go to business parks. <laughs> <laughs> I 
up and down the country because they're all services businesses and they all have their offices in business parks so that's that's about all I get now Oh. endless glamour yeah <laughs> really I mean to be fair it sounded like you had a great time early on and now you're paying for that everyone else had to suffer early on <laughs> probably right um yeah so and then having done the grad scheme I then we all came back to London um and then that was when I started full-time working in equity research and and I mean, talking about the people, I guess, that you've met along the way, were there particular people that you met or mentors that you had that you feel like they kind of shaped where you went from there? Or was it all, how did, how did that play out? Did you, do you find bosses that you worked with potentially quite inspiring? Yeah, I mean, I I think in my first workplace, I, I struggled to find mentors and real kind of sources of help and encouragement which I I think you know looking back on is really it it was it was very tough I found that period of my working career very tough Mm. um and you know it took a toll I think on me personally as well and it took me a while to recover from it after I'd left I was there five years um I did have some some amazing um friends and allies when I was at um, my first workplace um, you know a few of whom I'm still in touch with we had a, a group of four of us so we were all about the same kind of level and you know at that time you really kind of bond with the people who you're yeah. who you're, you're working alongside so we're all kind of firm friends um, and there was one other um, one other lady who worked there and she she was a bit older than me she's about 10 years older than me uh, and we're still in touch. Um, but she uh, she was a great friend and a great support to me, um, really encouraging. Um, we were going through quite similar things, I think, with respect to our um, kind of direct work streams and colleagues. And she had more experience than me, but was, you know, always willing to kind of lend an ear, lend advice tell me to go in and ask for a pay rise when I felt I really deserved one you know you need people who kind of give you encouragement particularly when you're young and you you really don't know any better so once I then moved on to Liberum I think there were some really great advocates at Liberum and I think particularly you know I was coming from a place where I, I felt like I had a lot to prove when I turned up um and, you know, having come off what hadn't been a brilliant experience, I wasn't feeling probably as confident as I could have been. But I think there were some great um, allies and advocates there, you know, who definitely definitely gave me confidence to step up, you know, helped me believe in myself, you know, gentle encouragement every day, just that friendly, friendly voice saying, you know, you did a great job or yeah, you know, you know, great call, just little mm. things. Oh, yeah. It goes such a long way, doesn't it? Um, so that was, that, that was, I think, a really, while a short period for me at Liberum, a really kind of formative period because it really helped me to, I think, realise that actually, yes, I am good at my job and 
um, you know, I can do this and I can take responsibility and really kind of empowered me to to get on, I think. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really grateful for for those people, for sure, and many of whom I'm, I'm still in touch with. That goes to show it had such an impact on your life, though, that, you you know, you, you still have them in your life even now. Do you find that it made you not maybe not necessarily want to mentor people as such, but do you find that because you had that in your life, you are now that person to other younger people maybe starting out in their career? Yeah. In fact, this has been a really recent thing that I um, I have started mentoring somebody and I felt like it was really it was something I really wanted to do because I could see I could you know see some of my own previous concern and struggle and you know I'm not really sure how to navigate these situations in them and I thought well you know when I was in their position I really could have done with somebody who I could relate to more senior say well actually you know this is how you should approach this situation so it was something I really felt I wanted to do and, and would like to continue to do for for more younger people coming through so um actually I'm finding it really rewarding I mean I hope it's useful for them but I'm I'm in <laughs> and I find it really rewarding <laughs> well it is nice to be able to feel that you're helping people who are maybe experiencing things that you experience that you wish that you'd been able to speak about at the time isn't it yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you guys know, we work in, it's a high pressure environment. And, you know, there's, there's not always an easy way to have conversations, or you feel like if you're junior, then you can't say this, and you can't ask for that. And that's not right. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter who you are, of course, you should be able to, um, you should be able to ask, um, and you should be able to be heard. And you should, you should feel like you should be heard so I'm keen to I'm keen to make sure that as much as I can for the people who I see around me that they don't feel like I did when I was a junior yeah and it, and it must be so it definitely is making an impact on them because I feel like no matter who you speak to everyone has been in that position and you think it's almost a given like of course you can say what you think and of course it's okay for you to put your hand up in that meeting or ask for that pay rise but you don't you just you instantly write yourself out because it's for whatever reason but actually having someone at your level saying to you no it's fine it's completely normal for you to feel that way and you can do this I think that definitely goes a long way and you'll be surprised at how much those little comments do make such a big difference for people um, so you're definitely, even though you're benefiting, I guarantee you they are too. <laughs> so this actually really nicely leads us on to an audience question that we had submitted. So maybe um, we could finish with a couple of audience questions. The first one is, what is the best way to find and ask for a mentor? It's, I think, something that lots of people struggle with is finding a, someone who's who's got the time maybe to to be a mentor. And I don't know what your experience is, but quite often it's not actually spoken about that you are a mentor, or that you're being mentored. It's a more casual, informal thing than that, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think the best way is to just directly ask. Um, I asked, I haven't asked, I mean, this is a good prompt for me. 
you know, who are my mentors right now? And I think currently they fall into the camp of it's informal, um, mm. not a kind of structured program. Or I did, I did have one, um, one person who I asked to be my mentor, but that kind of fizzled out. When I was young, when I was younger, when I um, when I was at RBC for a short period of time, I did have a mentor, and it was a formal kind of program, and it was invaluable. It really was um, for that short period of time, and it came about because the the program was in place, but essentially you had to go and ask, and I just went and asked, and I think. Um, I think you can't lose if you if you ask people. I don't think people um, often just say outright no. I think there is some. Um, I think most people, even if they want to keep it to an informal arrangement, they will they will try and accommodate it because obviously you're you're probably not asking completely out of the blue. There is some kind of commonality and some some reason why you think they would be a good mentor for you. Um, so I think. Yeah, I think the best way is to just to just go go ahead and um, ask the question. Don't be don't be shy about it. Mm. I think that is good advice. I think it it can be like you're saying, if you overthink it, maybe it's it's too much. You just need to go ahead and be bold and ask. Yeah, maybe explain explain the reasons why you think that they'd be a good mentor, because who doesn't like being flattered? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere in life, clearly. <laughs> um, so, next question we have is: What is the best or worst advice that you've received? Actually, on this related to the previous question, best advice is best piece of advice. If you if you feel strongly about it, go for it. And also, if you if it and this is probably maybe a more kind of researchy thing. If it looks wrong or your your gut tells you that, you know, something doesn't quite feel right with what you've put together, there's probably something wrong with it because your gut's always right. Good so, advice. So, so step away, go and get a coffee, go and clear your head and then come back to it and then you'll you'll see it straight away. Yeah, oh, I think that's so true of so many things as well, isn't it? Like if you're getting too uh, caught up in something at work, I always do this when I'm writing emails. I get too caught up in it and then I have to just take a step back, go and do something else, come back to it. And then you realise what you've missed or where you've where you've not quite connected the the dots. I think mm. that's really good advice. Amazing. There you go. We've got bang on time. So that is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so Thank much. You for so much. Oh god. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. That was that was really nice. Sounds like therapy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh thank you guys. Really appreciate it. I really enjoyed that. Thanks to Portia for appearing on Unity Thursday. We want to get to know you all, so please do ask your questions or just drop us a line to introduce yourself. You can reach us at unitythursday at gmail.com. We will never reveal your identity, so tell us all your secrets. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit our website at unitythursday.com. See you next time.